The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. How are y'all this morning? Merry Christmas. There you go. Sorry, I cut you off and let you say Merry Christmas back. And also, it's Jesus' birthday, but you know who else's birthday it is? David Granger, right there. Y'all tell him happy birthday. All right. It's technically not Jesus' birthday quite yet, but you know, we're celebrating his birthday early. So today we are so excited about continuing our study or, or looking at Isaiah 9, as I mentioned with the children at Advent. We're going to look at three blessings of Christmas in Isaiah's prophecy. And when you think about Christmas, the light of the world coming in and changing things from darkness to light, there are three blessings of Christmas that you see all over our Christmas cards, all over the songs and the music. I want to see if you can come up with them. I'll give you a hint. Uh, Jesus is clearly the reason and the light that Jesus brings is, is the source of these three blessings or or attitudes that we discover in Christ. So what are the three words or the three Christmas blessings that come to mind when you think about Christmas? Let me hear you respond. Joy, Joy, boom, that's one. Hope, that's two. Peace, man, y'all are good. That's exactly it. So we're done. That's the sermon. We're going to talk about hope. And then we're going to see the, the hope that Jesus brings. And then we're going to look at the joy that Jesus brings. And then finally, the peace that Jesus brings. And we find these in Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. Uh, allow me to read that to you. Here's what God said to his people during a very dark day of their history. He says through Isaiah the prophet, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Father God, we pray this morning that as we look at this prophecy of, of this incredible gift of your light that comes into a dark world, that you would fill us with hope the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you will give us great joy that is found only in Christ and that you will fill us with peace, the peace of the Prince of Peace, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So as we look through this Isaiah's prophecy, we see in verse six, everything centers on one event, one person. And that begins in verse six. Look at verse six again. It says, for... 
to us, the floor, the basis of all that we see in this prophecy, the basis of the hope, the basis of the joy, the basis of peace is for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. So the promise that we celebrate at Christmas, the hope, the joy, the peace that we enjoy at Christmas is all centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ, who is God's son prophesied in the ages past to come into a dark world filled with darkness and rebellion and sin and brokenness and to shine the light of God's glory that we might be attracted to him put our hope in him and experience by receiving the greatest gift of all, the gift of God's righteousness as a gift through Jesus Christ, we would celebrate and receive the greatest treasure, which is salvation and being made right with God through Jesus Christ. It is for to us a child is born that we can celebrate these three Christmas blessings. And we're going to see there's two phases of this gift of Christ. The first phase or stage was the long-awaited first arrival that we celebrate at Christmas, where he is a baby born in a silent, peaceful night in the midst of darkness, the ray of hope, the salvation of the world. And we're going to look at that as we look at Luke and we look at Isaiah side by side. But there's also a second stage that as we know as the gospels present that Jesus died, he was buried for our sins as is pictured in the Lord's Supper we'll partake. But he also ascended to the right hand of the Father. And the first coming is a deposit guaranteeing the second coming. That if you are celebrating the first coming, you are guaranteed the second coming. And as he is, as we are awaiting his arrival, when he comes again, verse 6 says, the government shall be upon his shoulders. Finally, the government will be on his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Listen to these, these five titles. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, our Savior. So this is who he will be when he comes again. All these things with the government where he establishes his worldwide reign as king of his earth. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at three Christmas blessings that we see in this prophecy. And after each one is seen in Isaiah, we're going to go to Luke's account of the Christmas events. And we're going to see those same themes are captured. The Old Testament is creating a longing of the arrival of the Messiah. The New Testament, especially in the gospel, says he has arrived. I have good news. This long-awaited king, this long-awaited light has arrived. And the New Testament writer Luke will use the same themes to capture the Isaiah's prophecy and say, look at this, Christ has come and he brings hope. Let's look at hope. In verse 2, we see the hope that Christ brings us this Christmas. It says in verse 2 of Isaiah 9, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now notice there's no word hope mentioned here, but it is all over the context Light brings hope in the midst of darkness. Where darkness reigns, so does despair, and we lose hope. But in the darkness, piercing the darkness, comes this hope of the light of Jesus Christ. In this context, Isaiah's prophecy was written to Israel, God's people, in a terribly dark time. 
They had turned their backs on God, though God had continued to bless them and give them this land of promise and bountiful harvest, and yet they turned their backs on God. They got distracted from God as their Savior and turned to other things and turned away from God in rebellion. And then things started getting tough, as things do when we turn away from God, and darkness and difficulty and despair starts to set in. And what did they do? Instead of turning back to God in repentance and trusting in God once again, they turned instead to the king of Assyria and said, help us out here. And what did that result in but Assyria conquering them, enslaving them, and leading them to more destruction and despair, which is exactly what happens when we turn away from God and turn to sin and rebellion. And it only got harder and harder. Their hearts grew harder and harder. And so things got more difficult. In verses, uh, chapter 8, preceding Isaiah's prophecy in 9, the end of chapter 8 tells us how dark it was. It says this in 8, 19 and following. It says, and when they say to you, inquire of the mediums, this is what they were doing. When they say, inquire of the mediums, tell us what to do, mediums. When they say, inquire of the necromancers who chirp and they mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead? On behalf of the living? Should they not inquire of the teachings, of the testimonies of God? If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed, hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged They will turn against God and they will speak contemptuously against their king and against their God. And then they will turn their faces upward and they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness and the gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. This is the context in which this prophecy comes is Sin, rebellion, leading to more rebellion, harder hearts, darker, darker, death and despair. In the battles of Assyria, Assyria's evasion of them, much death, starvation. It was a terrible time. And what did God do in the midst of this darkness? We read in verse 1, but there will be no gloom. Here comes the ray of light. Instead of saying, you know what? You've turned from me. You've rebelled. You know what? Forget you. Instead, God sends verse 1 through the mouth of Isaiah. But there will be no gloom in the future for her who was in anguish. So hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, in very dark times of rebellion, the prophet of God comes with a message of hope, a little tiny ray of light in the darkness like a little speck of star on the backdrop of a black African sky. When I go to Africa and do mission work, it's just incredible how dark and then one little light is just so bright. That's what this verse is. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee. Galilee of the nations. 
So here we have a promise of a future day where in the darkness, God will send a light. And verse 2 says, And the people who walked in darkness have seen great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shown. Prophetic past tense verbs that say, It's certain. It's already consider it done. That though there is darkness, the light will come. Why? What, what did they do to deserve this? You haven't had the, the blessing or the benefit of having read this text this week. You don't know. The answer is not in there as they, oh, they repented. There was this massive revival. No. The reason God promised to send the light is because he is gracious. And he is merciful. And he promises, though you walk in rebellion and though you walk in darkness, I will still send light. We see the same light mentioned in Luke 1. Luke 1, if you read the Christmas story, it's Luke 2, but Luke 1 has a lot of incredible prophecy that's picking up from Isaiah, and it has to do with Zechariah and Elizabeth being told, you're going to have a child, and it's a very similar story. They're like, what? You're kidding me. No way. We're way beyond childbearing years. And then he says, all right, just for that, Zechariah, you can't talk. And so he goes mute until finally the arrival of the son. But in these words, these verses, these prophecies, we see picking up on Isaiah these same promises. And it says that your son, John, John the Baptist, will be the predecessor to the arrival of the Messiah, Christ. And he will prepare the way for the arrival of Christ. And listen to what he says in 177, the description of light. He says, salvation, referring to Jesus, salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. This is what Christmas is all about. The forgiveness of their sins. Why? Because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and those who sit in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was, John the Baptist was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And then the familiar words of 2.1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So even in Luke, Luke picks up the words of Isaiah, says that there is a light that is coming and Jesus is the light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. I know that many people, when they hear the words Merry Christmas or when they try to say the words Merry Christmas, it rings with an emptiness underneath them because of the pain, because of the darkness, because of the difficulty that you're in. I know that's many of our situations this morning. What does the gospel have to say to you? The gospel says you are never without hope, that this Christmas can be one filled with hope, not absent of darkness, but hope in the midst of darkness. Because it doesn't mean that we've experienced it all now, but the, the arrival of Christ the first time is the deposit guaranteeing the second coming of Christ. What little bit of hope that you taste in Christ now is only a foretaste of the glorious hope and the fullness of Christ when he comes. 
And sometimes it's that little hope that we cling to in difficult days. And that's my prayer for you. Maybe it's the first time that you will taste and see how glorious Christ is this Christmas. That he will shine just a ray of hope into your darkness, into the darkness of a soul that has been hardened against Christ to just give him your mustard seed of faith and say, Lord, I've got nothing but just, I just pray that what the Bible says is true, that you are my hope. He will not disappoint. Put your faith in Christ. Let him be your hope today. So when we say Merry Christmas, we're not just saying, oh, everything's merry. We're saying Merry Christmas because we look forward to the day when our faith will be sight and the fullness of his hope will be a reality. And that's what Christmas joy, that's what Christmas hope means to us today. Next we see joy. Listen to Isaiah's praises of joy regarding the promised son of God who will be born and who will bring joy into this world. Verse 3, he says, you have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. And they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil. Here are words of victory. Joy that is in the midst of victory. Imagine being at war with Assyria. Being literally starved to death. That's the way they broke you down. They cut off the food lines. You couldn't eat. Your people were devastated. And you finally said, okay. Well, they were being starved. Their people were being killed. Their people were being deported. It was nothing but a dark, devastated place of despair. Imagine these words of hope that one day Christ promises your nation will be multiplied as the, a nation wins victory and expands its territory. You multiply the nations and your joy will be increased. And the analogies of joy are the joy of a bumper harvest at harvest time. A farmer who's just not hungry, not starvation, but abundance of food. Calling the nations to come. We have so much that you can enjoy and have a feast to our king and the, the, the analogy is also that of a victorious warrior as they win the battles dividing the spoils of victory in the midst of darkness and despair Christ brings joy of the future victory that is coming the current victory is for sure but there's also more victory coming we see the current victory in verse 4 mentioned here's why we celebrate here's why we have joy not the absence of pain, but joy in the midst of pain and darkness and despair. He says, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, you, God, have broken as on the day of Midian. What is the day of Midian? That's Gideon. Remember the story of Gideon. Gideon was ready to face the armies, vast armies, and he's scared and he's shaking in his boots. And God says, don't worry, I got this. Take your men. You've got too many. He's like, do what? He says, you've got way too many. Let's whittle this army down and down and down until it is painfully clear that if Gideon is going to win, it's only because God got the victory. And that's what he is saying. That's what it's going to be like. When Christ, this humble baby in a manger comes, he will crush the head of the serpent. He will break the rod of the oppressor. He will obliterate sin and its influence. 
And he says, this is the victory that brings us joy, certain joy. And so this is the Christmas joy that we enjoy. As we open presents, as we celebrate Christmas, let it be a a reminder of the joy that undergirds the darkness in our soul to say Christ Christ has given us victory and Christ will give us the full benefits of those victories. He talks about the totality of the victory over sin and the oppressor in verse 5. He says, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Every boot of those who have trampled the blood of the saints of Jesus Christ will be eliminated. Total, complete victory for God's people. He says, it's coming. Take joy now. It is certain. Past tense. It's already done. We see also this same idea of the great joy that comes in Christ. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8, our Christmas story, it says, and this is, this is referring to the shepherds seen in the, in the same region. There were shepherds out in the field, a quiet but dark night, watching over the flock by night. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And then the light of the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring gospel of great joy. I bring the good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. This Christmas, I want you to know in a new, more profound way the joy of the Savior. Wherever you are, whatever darkness and despair you're going through, or whatever joy you're in, there is nothing more important than discovering or rediscovering the joy of Jesus Christ knowing that you have been forgiven and made right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ will undergird your soul. And when it captivates your heart, when it captures your imagination, when it wins your allegiance and your loyalties, and it starts to define how you live, it infuses all of life with a joy unspeakable. I pray that for you this Christmas. What a great Christmas blessing, the blessing of the hope of Jesus Christ, the joy of Jesus Christ. And finally, we see the peace of Jesus Christ. In verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will one day be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, 
to establish it and uphold it with justice. Listen to the description of his reign of peace. With justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore and evermore and evermore. In these verses, we see Jesus brings peace. He brings peace now when we are reconciled with God. It says, the scripture says, we are at enmity with God. We're at war with God until we accept Christ and he brings us under allegiance to him. He then brings us to peace with God and the war is no more. We do not have war with God when we are in Christ. We are at peace with God and he becomes our wonderful counselor, our father, our loving father who reigns and rules over our life We experience it to some level now, but it's only a foretaste of the future when Christ comes again and establishes his worldwide peace. And it's a peace that lasts forevermore. And we live in a kingdom of justice and righteousness where the heavenly father reigns and rules over all of his people. In Luke's Christmas account, we see the same peace mentioned. Look at Luke 2 verse 10. Again, with the angels, it's the shepherd says, it says, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you gospel of great joy will be for all of the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in a swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts Can you imagine the scene? A multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace among those who are in Christ our Savior. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. They said, let me tell you what the angels just declared. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I pray that's our response today as we come to the Lord's table. I pray that we do what the shepherds did, glorifying and praising God for all that we hear and see this morning. As we think about the light who's come into the world, the light is Jesus Christ. John 1.4 says that in Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so at this time, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper and the Lord's Supper is, is symbolic of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of people who aren't members of this church and so I just want to be clear to give a clear instruction. The Lord's Supper symbolizes the body of Christ as there is one bread and many parts are broken from the one bread and distributed and partaken by the members of Christ's body. We are participating in the blood and the body of Jesus Christ by our faith in Christ alone. 
It's not by the work of taking the bread. It's by faith in Christ alone. And the bread symbolizes the oneness we share in Christ, that he is the one who gives us life. And the one cup is shared and we participate together. And so we'll have the elements distributed in just a moment. If you aren't in Christ, this is the most beautiful picture of it you'll ever see. And we ask you, we implore you, we exhort you, trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, for the hope of Christ, for the peace he gives you with God. As we distribute, as the men come forward, we're going to distribute the elements. I ask you, just be in a spirit of prayer. Seek the Lord's guidance. Ask him to search your heart. Ask the spirit of God. The scripture says where two or three are gathered, gathered together, there I am in their midst. And the spirit of God is here this morning. And we ask him to search our hearts and to reveal any sin in our hearts that needs to be dealt with. And as we find sin, we say, Lord, I thank you that your body, your blood cleanses me of that unrighteousness. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come into your presence. As we pass out the portions of the bread, we are representing that we know that individually we become a church, we become a part of your body by faith in your death on the cross. And as you partake of the cup, Lord, it is a reminder that your blood was spilled as the new covenant, the, 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 what we needed to have forgiveness of sins. For out, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So search our hearts now as we distribute these elements. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.